0: As we come now before the Word of God, would you turn in your Bibles, if you'd like to read with me, to the book of James? This is the letter written by James in chapter 5. And before we read, would you please pray with me? Lord, your Word calls us. To be still before the Lord, and to wait patiently for you. So Lord, we seek to do that now. Would you help us in this time to to listen and to trust you? Would you tune in our ears and our hearts now, guide us by your spirit that we might see and believe? And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll be here in James chapter 5. I'll start here in verse 7 and take up just a few few verses. So James chapter 5, beginning in verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord... This is the word of God. Now, the main call to us from James in this section is this. We're called to patience. So that will be our focus today on patience. Now, to hear that we'll be looking here in the rest of the time at patience might make some of us groan uh-oh. Patience, this is, uh, this is not my strong suit. Uh, this one might sting a little bit. Patience might be a bit of a struggle for us. We know that some things are easier for some and harder for others, but, but we all need this. For me, at least, my most common prayer for myself in general is a prayer for wisdom that God would make me understand and even love what he, what he says is good. That's my general prayer, but my most common prayer in a particular moment is for patience. Easily. I often need God's help with this. And I did not realize just how much I lack patience until I had kids Those of you that have kids of your own, or who have worked with kids, are chuckling. You know, okay, I I love kids. I enjoy them. I especially love my own kids. Uh, The Lord calls children a blessing, and that is absolutely true. Kids are still—they're still figuring out life how everything works. They're still learning. They're, they're learning when is the right time to sing 10 little monkeys jumping on the bed and that the right time for that is not while daddy's on the phone doing some business. You know, they're, they're still trying to figure out exactly what breakable means and what to do when it happens. You know, g- kids are testing it all out. That's the reason why they ask why? A hundred times in one car ride. We know that kids are kids are sinners too. They need Jesus just like the rest of us. But a lot of times with these issues, it's not really a child's sin, per se. They're just kids being kids. And while these kids are testing out the world, whether they intend to do this or not, they end up testing our patients, at least mine, sometimes. It's easy to forget that sometimes actually the things that we do, it's true the other way around, the things that we do can often test their patients as well. You know, as we, as we grow up, sometimes we realize that our own parents or families test our parents. Patience is just, it's hard. We all need it. So that's what this text is working on us in now. This brings us to have to address what patience actually is. Because patience, in my head, at least the way I think about it, patience mainly has to do with waiting. I think of it that way. Patience has to do with waiting for something. And that's true in some sense, but there is so much more to patience than just waiting. Patience is not mainly about sitting at a bus stop not just occupying your time with twiddling your thumbs or doing a sudoku you know that sort of thing is not being patient, that's being dormant patience is a far more active thing The word that James here uses when he writes in the original Greek, the word that's translated as patience is actually a compound word that is a combination of two words smashed together into one. The two words that he combine are makros, meaning long or far, and thumos, meaning anger or wrath. So when you smash them together, the literal definition of patience here is Far-off anger. That's what we mean by patience here. It's far-off anger. So the opposite of this, what we call impatience, is when anger is near, when I become short-tempered. You know what this is like? When that fuse feels about this long, and you feel like you could just pop at any moment? that's near anger but patience here is is stretching that out very long pulling the fuse clear out you know it casts the anger as far away as we can kicking it way out past my own arms reach patience to be clear does not mean we never get angry god gets angry sometimes there are sometimes holy times for anger it doesn't mean we never get angry but it does mean that we kick that anger far away, that we become slow to anger. And that can be hard. It's at least m- much harder than just sitting at a bus stop. James's context here for addressing patients. We know, we know patience is very broad. There's tons of situations in which we need it in our, in our families, in on, on our jobs, when you're on the Internet. If you ever read the comment section, boy, don't you feel like you need some patience. Uh, so there's plenty of places we could exercise this, but James specifically is calling to patience in response to a particular thing. That is, he's writing about patience in response to the sin of Injustice. We talked about this if you were here with us last Sunday, but he, he addresses it in verse 4 of the previous section, that there were some economic problems happening among them, that there were plenty of laborers who were being cheated for their work, that they'd put in the good, long, hard work, and they were being defrauded by the landowners, and, and their money was not being, being given to them. And James doesn't go, you know, do nothing, Be patient. Just sit down and wait. You know, oh well, the rich get richer, the poor get poorer, life's not fair, that's just the way it goes. He doesn't say that. What he does say is patience, brothers. That is, Whatever you might do in response to this injustice, whatever would be the best thing to do to respond to this uh, lack of, of just situation, whatever you do, do it with far off anger. His reasoning for this is to, to remind them of something they know to be true. You know that the Lord is coming, He is. He's even at hand. The righteous judge is at the door. His hand is on the knob. And the Lord has said, vengeance is mine. I will repay. It's mine to deal with, not yours. So you might strive for justice. Yes, that might be appropriate. But as you strive for justice, do not avenge yourselves. That is, leave the wrath to God. God has anger towards sin. And his anger is hot, but it's also holy. Your anger and mine, I suppose, in contrast, is hot but often unholy. So toss your anger out as far away as you can By God's grace, chuck it out as far as you can so that we'll have the patience of far-off anger because if we allow that anger to stay with us, it begins to consume us, to burn within us, and it will destroy any good that God might be working in and through us. Now, We've addressed some of what patience is, that is, that it's far off anger. The question for us at this point is what then does this patience of far off anger actually look like? And what James would have us learn here are the ways that God would express that patience. To do that, he gives us three examples of patience in the, te- in the text. Those three examples are these the examples of the farmer of the prophets, and of Job. You probably noticed that as we went through already. The three examples are the, the farmer, the prophets, and Job. So in the rest of our time, we're going to take each of those examples of patience and try to listen for what each of these examples would teach us about the godly path of patience. That's where we're headed. Let's go for it here. The first example here that we see is the example of the farmer. It's in verse 7. After he says, be patient, then he says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. Okay. So see how the farmer Waits, he says. That is, many of you know this better than I do. The rainy seasons come and go. There's an ebb and flow to these things. So, patience is not only waiting, of course, it's more than that, but there is still a good measure of waiting in this. The issue then is what we do with the waiting. So the real lesson from the farmer is not just that he waits. We look at the reason why he waits. What's his reason? What's his motivation for waiting? And we see that the answer is he's waiting for the precious fruit. That is, as he's waiting, he's cultivating something that's valuable underneath the dirt that I might not even be able to see yet. So, in the situation with our kids, so if, if, if the issue, the lesson is really to focus on the, the preciousness of something. In, in the example of my kids, you know, in response to their 100 questions, which I actually in some ways really like, in response to those, I might not answer those 100 questions. I might not even be able to answer them. But I, I at least want to cast out any frustration I might have over those questions. And instead I'm pursuing patience, I'm seeking to put anger far off. The reason for that is because there's something more more precious to me than just getting frustrated and airing that out. I want to show my children that I love them. That I care about what they think. That I care about growing them, that they learn. That is far more precious to me. So it's worth putting off anger to seek that. You know, when we're facing injustice, it's important to seek justice in some way, but you know what's far more important than just getting justice? You know what's more precious than that? To trust God. To actually put faith in God in the midst of that. To trust God is more valuable than making things right. To trust God is more valuable than making things right. Of course, we want both things. If I can trust God and make things right, that would be good. But one is more important. We want to trust God. The Christian life is not just about making everything good for me, for my family, for society, even. That might be good, but it's not just about that. We, we want, as Christians, to show that our God is good. That he is of the highest value. That he is supremely worthy of worship and praise and honor. So that means that our first response to hardship should not be, how do I fix it? It should be, how do I honor God with it? The scriptures uh, talk about this in uh, many places, but Peter addresses this, and you can hear the, the highlight in 1 Peter chapter 1 about how we respond to these hardships. In verse 6, he talks about being grieved uh, by various trials, and then he says, you do this, verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith which is more precious than gold, even though it, it is attested by fire and perishes, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, your faith is to produce honor to God. So to see the preciousness of our faith and the glory of, of Jesus, who saves us from sin by his own precious blood, that is what enables us to be patient Which means that the sort of patience that James is talking about here, that seeks a a particular sort of precious fruit, that sort of patience is impossible for an unbeliever. Because without faith in Jesus, there is no promise of God for salvation. Without faith in Jesus, there's no salvation that we can rest in. Without faith in Jesus, there's no real judge of the world to ultimately look for. There's there's really nothing to wait for. So without faith in Jesus, we would be like farmers who just stare at soil that has no seed in it. Patience, Patience in that sense would be empty. But for a Christian... For ones who who put trust in Jesus as our greatest treasure, patience is good because there's a precious fruit that comes after the late rains. That's the lesson of the farmer. Let's look at the second example. James gives us an example here from the prophets. Now, what would they teach us? Uh, Where does he address them here? Verse 10. Let me read it again. James says, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. So as he addresses the example of prophets here, he pairs their patience with their, did you notice it? Patience with their suffering. You know, today you don't have to watch you know, TV and news very long to notice that there's no shortage these days of self-proclaimed prophets. Have you noticed a bunch of people kind of speaking on behalf of God and saying God says such and such? You know, it's really easy to sit in front of a camera and claim what God says. Anybody can do that. You can claim God says certain things, especially if it conveniently fits our own narrative There are plenty of people who are doing this these days, claiming to be prophets, and most of these folks are worse than bags of wind. We'd be better off listening to nails on a chalkboard than listening to their words. So most of the time when you hear these self-proclaimed prophets block them out of your mind, plug your ears, whatever you have to do, don't give any attention to the blather that they call prophecy and claiming some sort of message from God. That is not the way it worked for the Old Testament prophets who were actually called by God. The prophets of old, their lives were not characterized by power or influence or wealth. Their lives were characterized by suffering. The author of Hebrews gives a big summary of the of the various things the prophets endured. They, they were tortured, mocked, beaten, imprisoned, killed with sword, killed with stones, killed with saws. Ouch. We know most about the the suffering of the prophet Jeremiah. And lots of really awful things happened to him. This isn't even the worst of it, but it's the most memorable to me. I won't read it just because it's a very long scene, but it's in in Jeremiah chapter 38 if you're interested reading about it. So in that context, the prophet Jeremiah is speaking the word of the Lord against King Zedekiah. And as a result of bringing the word of the Lord, uh, the king and others with him dump the prophet Jeremiah into a cistern a well, a deep well. And there's no water in it, but there's mud at the bottom where the water once was. And the writer makes a point to say, Jeremiah sank down in the mud. That's not how he dies. He survives the scene, but it takes 30 men to pull him out. You know, can you even imagine, I, I don't know that I can, can you imagine what that would be like At the bottom of a well, sinking in the mud, and there is no lassie to come send for help. Now, if there's any time to get angry, (laughs) that would be it. I, I, I don't know if Jeremiah was angry, the writer doesn't tell us I would be at least. I would be furious at whoever it was that kicked me down at that well. And it would be easy to justify that anger, to let that fuse get short and let the anger draw in real, really near. When it, when, it, it, when it feels like there's nothing but me and the mud and my own thoughts, that's when the anger begins to, to creep in. The moments that, that we need God to give us patience the most are when we are suffering the greatest. James, however, doesn't just tell us about their suffering. The lesson of patience from the prophets is not just that they do suffer. It's in their response to the suffering. So he mentions that the prophets spoke in the name of the Lord. So, patience does not just mean keep quiet. Patience does not just mean tuck your head down and keep your mouth shut. These prophets were examples of suffering and patience, and they spoke. Now, the way that they speak is important because this is said in contrast with something he mentions in the verse prior in verse 9. The lesson for us from the prophets is a way not to speak, which he says, do not what? Do not grumble. That's the push. Do not grumble. The difference is that the prophets spoke in favor of God. A grumbler, however, speaks in favor of himself. These grumbles are specifically spoken against something, against someone. It's often something that's not out loud quite. It's just kind of under the breath. You know, the sort of mumbles that are maybe barely words at all, just sort of the (laughs) You know what grumble's like. This is not the same thing, by the way, as sharing about our hurts and fears. It's not the same thing as needing to think through a hard situation with wisdom and to talk with someone about that. It's not the same thing even as expressing a deep ache or longing. Those things might be appropriate. They might even be good and godly things. Grumbles, however, are never godly. Grumbles are driven by anger. Not just far-off anger. In a grumble, the anger is very near. It's tucked right up underneath my tongue in a grumble. And so it's sin. Grumbles are sin against others, and they're sin against God. So we want to cast off those grumbles along with our anger that the Spirit would give us strength to do it. Even if I think I have a good reason to grumble, which is every time, right? I have a good reason to grumble. I was sinned. They did this to me. They said this about I've been sinned against, even if it's a really big sin, like they threw me down at the bottom of the well so that I could sink in the mud. You know better. You know that your grumbling is not making that situation better. Do not respond to their sin with sin of your own. You will only make it worse. The far-off anger of patience speaks, yes, but does not grumble. That's the second example, the example of the prophets. We're now at the third and final example that James gives us, which is the example of Job. So, what can we learn about patience from Job? We see him uh, discussed in verse 11. Let me read it again. "Behold," James says. "Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast." You've heard of the steadfastness of Job. So it seems the main and clear example or lesson from Job is that Job is steadfast. that that Job persevered and endured trials. Now, this is a really interesting point to make about Job. Because if you're familiar with the Old Testament account of Job, if you've actually read the whole account, or if you know what's going on with him, you know he went through some hard things. But this might be a really odd conclusion to make about him. That Job was steadfast. I mean if we only read the beginning of the book of Job this will sound familiar I'm sure to many of us you know Job has some really rough uh, terrible in some sense things happen to him and at the end of it at the end of just the first chapter we hear this about him Job uh, chapter 1 verse 22 and he Job said naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away Blessed be the name of the Lord, and in all this Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Sounds good. Way to go, Job. But if we keep reading, if we hear more from Job as he's interacting with his other three uh, friends, it looks a little less like this the further we go. You know, Job is, the more we learn about him, becomes full of questions, full of doubts, of despair, of demands even of God. Job starts to contradict himself. We see a sort of like seesaw effect between things that are holy and unholy and things that we're not quite sure where they fit in between. There's plenty of times where Job, at least it sounds like he's muttering and grumbling. Anger appears to be very near to him. And even toward the end of the account, if we had, if we're, we're going, maybe my assessment of this is wrong. Toward the very end of the account of Job, we hear the Lord speak, and God Himself calls Job a fault finder, and one who argues with God. So was Job really as steadfast as James says? Yes, he was. By God's grace, Job was steadfast. Here's why. The real test of steadfastness is not what happens in each individual moment that this moment has to always be a a step ahead of the place we were before it. Steadfastness is not just a steady line from unholiness to holiness. Steadfastness is not just what happens in the moments. Steadfastness is about where we land in the end. And in the end of Job... He trusts God. Job, for all of the ruckus in the middle, Job trusts God in the end. Job repents and puts faith in God in the end. And even though he has plenty of outbursts of anger in the middle, he holds on to patience in God in the end. There's a matter of wisdom at work here. The The writer of Ecclesiastes, if I can find it, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, says this in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Here's the snippet of wisdom in verse 8. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. That is, it's good to seek patience in the beginning, but what we really are after is that in the end... We are patient, that God makes us patient, that we are steadfast in patience. That's not that we make light of each individual moment, okay? Each individual interaction with my child or with each of you or with anyone else matters. Every step in the journey is either moving us closer to or further away from holiness, and that, and that matters. But the end of the thing is better than the beginning, so keep the course, Know what it is that you're striving toward, that you're asking the Lord to move you toward. Know where that finish line tape is. So Christian, listen to me. If the goal is the end and not just or only the individual moments, you do not need to despair when you fail in patience in the moment. You know those moments where your anger gets the best of you? Where that fuse gets real short and even shorter and maybe is gone? You do not need to despair in those moments. It does not do you good to get impatient about your level of patience. Our confidence is ultimately not in ourselves. Our confidence is in the gospel of God. We rest everything there, which means that we can acknowledge our sin, own it before God and before others, repent of it, turn from our anger again to Jesus and and seek the power of the Holy Spirit to make us steadfast in patience. But, But the good news is that Jesus is the one working this in us. That's the good news of all of this. The point of what James says, yes, he's calling us to patience that we would be diligent. We're not just sitting doing a Sudoku at the bus stop. We are working toward this. But he's not just saying, hey, hey, listener, look at how well Job did. Look at the farmer, look at the prophets, and, and just try to do what they did, and you'll be fine. That's not the goal. We want to learn from them, but we really are looking to God. Look at how James ends this whole section. He says at the end of verse 11, you've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purposes of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate And merciful, the foundation of everything, including our own patience, is the Lord's compassion on us, the Lord's mercy and patience toward us. We know that God sees all, the Lord sees our sin, He knows the very depths of it. And he has every right to be angry with it. The reality is there are some who do not trust in Jesus who will experience his anger for eternity over their sin. But for everyone who puts faith in Jesus, Jesus took upon himself The wrath of God for our sin. On the cross, He became sin for us. And the Father poured out His wrath upon that sin, and Jesus drank up every drop of it. Not even a whisper left. Which means then that the anger of God toward a Christian, one who is in Jesus, the anger of God is not only far off, the anger of God is emptied. It's done. God will forever now be patient with all of those who are in Jesus. That's life for us it's freedom for us and it's based on this that he calls us therefore brothers you be patient until the lord comes would you pray with me oh lord this this is our desire that we would grow to be more like you that, you, that we would be filled with your patience. Would you make us people who are steadfast and not grumbling and seeking after precious things? And most of all, Lord, we, we, we want that you would be honored in us. Help us to look to you for every moment of our patience, trusting in Jesus who has done this great work for us. Hmm. Thank you for being a God who does such great things. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.